You will no longer stand between me and my destiny. But I will. And the masters of the universe. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! became the mighty battle cat and I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Only three others share this secret. Our friends, the Sorceress, Man-at-Arms, and Orko. Together we defend Castle Grayskull from the evil forces of Skeletor. Welcome to another episode of I Have the Power, a He-Man podcast. As always, I'm your host, Adam, and with me this episode is co-host Chris. Chris, how's it going? Doing fantastic, Adam. Thanks for uh, having me on to talk about a little Masters of the Universe. This is yes. the first time for me. Yes, you're usually, um, you're usually the, well, you are the co-host of, of the Turtle Dojo, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles podcast. But I know you expressed interest in uh, actually when we first started communicating about uh, coming on as a guest for um, for various uh, you know uh, He-Man episodes, and we've always been talking about when we can get you in, and um, this is uh, this is the episode we chose. Um, it it would have been cool if we could have. Uh, me, you, and Stephen, but the time, the time, this, you know, the he's in the UK, you're in the States, I'm in Canada. It's a whole mess of of, of, of time zones. So, so maybe maybe one month, one time on a Saturday when you're when you're able to do it, we'll we'll try and squeeze it in where we can get the uh, the three amigos on. But for now, <laughs> it's not uh, not feasible. But one day we'll make it happen. Um, but. On today's episode, the bulk of the show, or the you know the meat and potatoes of the show, will be the DC Universe versus Masters of the Uni- Masters of the Universe miniseries uh, from back in 2013, I believe it was, um, and it was a six-issue uh, miniseries, correct? Yep. From from DC Comics. So, That's right. DC Comics acquired the licensing for or the rights to masters of the universe from dark horse in 2012 i believe and uh, they premiered the masters of the universe uh comic series which was six issues and then this one followed directly behind that series in 2015 and then it eventually became an ongoing for a while and then had a couple of minis since um so we're gonna try and cover i know we've done it backwards and went with this first but it we should have done the, the six issue one you know before this one but i figure because that's so barely uh, barely referenced we can get away with it uh with doing a disorder um so uh, i don't i don't think anybody will be too uh up in arms over the the way we've chosen to do it um well, and I think most of the pertinent information from that first series is echoed in this. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's enough. There's enough there that if you haven't read that, you get the gist, and then we can go into detail later once we review that uh, series. But um, before we get into you know what we thought of that story and some details there, there is some news. As we know, um, there is a new. Well, there's two new Masters of the Universe animated series uh, coming to Netflix. Um, one being a computer, a, a three, is it, I don't know if it's 3D, but it's a CGI uh, computer animation kind of series. Um, more, more of a reboot aimed at a younger crowd. Um, 
which is um, which is coming from Brian Q. Miller, who um, um, did a lot of writing for the uh, Smallville season eleven comics, if you remember. <laughs> um, but before that is coming Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is of course from uh, Kevin Smith, and it's being done by the animation studio that uh, has done the Castlevania animated series for Netflix. And just, I want to say about a, a three or so weeks ago, we got some first look images, uh, Chris, from the series. Uh, what do you make of them? What do you think of them? We got, you know, we've got, we had a shot of kind of classic looking Princess Tila. We got uh, Prince Adam holding up a sword. Um, we got uh, He-Man on Battle Cat. We got uh, uh, kind of like a more of a warrior Tila, kind of with a group of fellow female warriors. Uh, and Evelyn was actually in the mix of that photo, so I wonder what's going on there. Uh, we got He-Man riding Battle Cat, and we got a Skeletor image. So what, what did you think of, of, the, of that imagery? I think that the images that we saw were faithful to the original animated cartoon while right. being updated for a new generation. Yeah. Um, to me, when I saw them, I saw like a hybrid of classic Masters of the Universe and the 2000 uh, series. It was like a blending of the two styles, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, you know, with with tech with the animation technology that we have now there's a lot more that they can do in terms of detail and certain things like shadows and shading um and you know they updated uh he-man's haircut a little bit it doesn't look like he has the same like prince adam bowl cut from yeah, it's not out of the 80s yeah it's a little bit more you know contemporary <laughs> but i really like the looks of them um moss man in in particular he i thought was fantastic and Skeletor looks pretty, pretty, you know, it's menacing and, and, and badass as well. But for me, what's always going to get me, uh, uh, and it was so good that I made it my Twitter banner, but He-Man riding Battlecat. I didn't even notice that you did that. That's awesome. Um, that, like, look, I've, I've. I'm I'm all in on this series, like like, you know my 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 hero fandom, and you know I've kind of, maybe I've said this on other podcasts before, but it started like here's the order, okay, from of my fandom as it start as I saw these things and as it started, it started with He Man. That was the first cartoon I can remember in the Masters yep. of the Universe. Likewise. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. Well, I am kind of going to revisit the story. I had all the toys. I had the castle. I had He-Man. I had I had Battle Cat. I, I had, you know, Skeletor. Uh, the whole nine yards. And then, you know, the, the toys got, without my without my warning, got, got given away uh, without my say-so. But then that's beside him and here or there. I don't hold any resentment at all because they went to charity. But, you know, <laughs> I still wish I had them. But it was, but I'm glad some kid got to enjoy them. So I'm not being, I'm not being, you know, uh, like you know, any kind of. Uh, you know, it's not a negative. It's just you know, I, I kind of, kind of miss that that when I because I see people that have still have their originals, and I'm like, damn it, you know, I, I used to have those. But um, so it was Masters of the Universe. The next thing I saw uh, was uh, TMNT. Uh, after that was Zorro shortly after that was Batman the Animated Series and then Superman so that was my you know the order of the way I saw things um, and so this property um, will always have a you know soft spot and a place close to my heart for me and this is the only character to my knowledge 
hero character that has my name. Uh, so, of course, I'm going to, you know, gravitate towards that. Uh, but, so, you know, I, but when I saw those images, I'm like, damn it, these guys are going to make me spend money on action figures. And I've already pre-ordered uh, Battle Cat. Nice. I've pre-ordered uh, the, what, what is he called? Sc the, you know, the Super Skeletor, whatever the hell he's called. The, you know, the transformed yep. version of Skeletor. And I'm, it hasn't gone up for order on Amazon yet, which is bugging me, but I'm waiting for the He-Man. And as long as I have all those three, I'm good. Like, I don't need the whole line. I just need those three, and, and I'm happy. Uh, so that's, that's what I've done. So I'm very excited, um, clearly. Um, but uh, we have a release date uh, as well, which is July 23rd, uh, which is a Friday. Well, I guess I know what I'll be doing that weekend. But what I'll be doing is I'll be watching it on a Saturday morning because, you know, I want to relive the experience. So I'll have a nice bowl of cereal uh, and be in front of the TV watching Netflix. Um, I'm hoping that my son will watch this with me. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't watched much of the original series because okay. being kids these days, they think that anything from the 80s looks like the olden days. So. Okay, okay. They can't really get into the animation, so I'm hoping that with this new animated style, it'll be the type of show that he can start watching. Sure. I'll enjoy for the nostalgia region reasons. So I'm really excited for this, man. Have you showed him the 2000 one yet? No, we haven't haven't done that one yet. Nope. Okay. And then the good thing is, there's also the which I'm sure you're going to watch for for because of your kids. The, the 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 second show as well um the the reboot one right where it's where they can really start you know kind of on the ground floor kind of thing uh, so that'll be fun too you have two chances to get them exposed to that to the property uh, indeed um but just to remind people uh because it's been a while since we've you know we've put out an episode uh but do we have the we have the cast list correct? Oh, we sure do. All right, let's run, run it down for us, Chris. Okay, so first of all, we have um, Mark Hamill as Skeletor, which is my favorite casting. Oh, out of anything. Yeah. I mean, Mark Hamill. You know, my son's name is Luke, so I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Right. So I have those fandoms being able to cross over with Mark Hamill playing Skeletor. That's just awesome for me. And for me, the Joker's playing Skeletor, so I mean... Two of the most yeah. iconic yeah. animated villains, for it's sure. Like, He-Man's he in trouble when that's happening. <laughs> um, who else do we have? Okay, so we've got Chris Wood as Prince Adam slash He-Man. Yes. Lena Headey as Evil Lynn. Mm. Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila. All right, now that one I got to call out because, you know... When I was a teenager, you know, Buffy was on, and I had the biggest crush on on Sarah Michelle Gellar. She is a as I like anybody that's been keeping up with the other podcast. She is on the Hall of Fame edition of my uh, multiverse wives list. <laughs> so uh, there, there's that. So to me, I mean, if you're gonna get anybody to voice Tila, I can't think of anybody better. But, but carry on. I had to go on that mini. Uh, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar Love Fest for a second, but go on, go ahead, continue. Hey, Sarah Michelle Gellar Love Fest is always welcome here. <laughs> um, Stephen Root as Cringer, and I'm assuming Battle Cat also, but it just says Cringer. Right. Um, the, uh, one of my favorite voice actors, Diedrich Bader, mm -hmm. as both. Hey, Batman. Yeah. He's so great. Um, he is both King Randor and Trap Jaw. Sweet. Um, let's see. We've got Jason Muse as Stinkor. <laughs> that's so perfect. Just so perfect. Um, Henry Rollins as Triclops. Um, that's interesting casting. Alan Oppenheimer, who played the original Skeletor, is Mossman in this yeah. one. Uh, Alicia Silverstone is Queen Marlena. Oh, my God. We got a Batgirl in this thing. <laughs> 
all they're all fandoms are converging. So, so wait a minute, you're telling me that that a Batman and Batgirl are He-Man's parents, and they're going up against the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mark Hamill's in this, right? I'm sorry, not Mark Hamill. Of course he is. Um, uh, Kevin Conroy, correct? Ooh, um, you know what? I don't see his name. Oh, yeah, he is. He's Merman. Right. So, there, uh, I mean, two Batman, <laughs> a Batgirl, a Buffy. I mean, what? I mean, this show is just like it's it's borderline insanity, like the Flash movie. We got two Batman. We got God knows who else. Um, yeah, this is great. I mean, what a cast. I mean, Kevin Smith is just really, you know, like you said, it's a bunch of fandoms converging. Uh, and, you know, I wonder how much of the credit does go to Kevin Smith because you know that he's the type of um, creative person that uh, that a lot of people like to work with. That's how he's able to get these mega stars to show up in his smaller budget films. You know, yeah. he's able to get guys like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and yeah. even Mark Hamill. Um, so I got to think that, you know, his cachet is – is um is inviting a lot of these people to to take place with or take part in this project and i'm just i'm really looking forward to it it's all shaping up really well i mean but, but you just think about it like like lena lena Headey, who is you know uh, cersei from game of thrones right yep uh, i mean can you think of anybody more perfect to play like if they were casting the live action version of evil in I'd say, yeah, cast her. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And to have her voice, I'm like, all right, I'm in. You know, so, um, I, like I said, I cannot wait for this thing. Um, and it's going to be a struggle not to watch it all in one city. I'm going to try because I know that if there is a season two, the potential wait could be a, quite a while, right? So when I watch a Netflix property, um, I tend to do one episode a night. Okay. I don't know if I'll be, I don't know, I don't even know if I'll be able to pull that off with Masters of the Universe Revelation, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure as hell going to try. <laughs> but I'm not a Green Lantern, so I don't know how good my willpower is. I'll be straight up and say that. Um, interesting because we're going to be talking about comics in a second. Remember how you said DC purchased a license from Dark Horse? Yep. Well, apparently it seems like the license has went back to Dark Horse because they are publishing the four-issue prequel to Masters of the Universe Revelation, which also comes out in July. It's a four-inch yep. miniseries, and, and it's coming out in July. So it starts in July. Uh, so I hope this means that there are plenty more um, Masters comics to come, because I just think they're great. And, and yeah, I, bring it on. It's just to me, uh, I need this this uh, this cartoon back in, back in you know, my orbit, so uh, I'm, I can't wait. I have the countdown clock going. Oh, nice! And, what's that? I said, nice. You got the countdown clock going. Well, in my head, I don't actually have a countdown. I should. That's <laughs> maybe something I should put on my on my screen. But uh, I I say the sooner the better, and I'm going to implore our audience: make sure this thing is a hit. Watch it. Get your friends to watch it. Let's get as much eyeballs on this as possible for several reasons. Because, A, it would, it would um, entice them to do more. B, it would possibly ignite Netflix's interest in doing the live-action film. Because I think what's happening... Remember, recently there was a big story about Sony making a first look deal with Netflix. Yep. About, you know, putting their stuff on streaming and some movies will go direct to Netflix. 
I ultimately think that's going to happen with Masters of the Universe. Because if you think about it, Netflix has two Masters of the Universe projects going, two animated projects. Clearly, some of the, a bunch of the executives at Netflix must have a love for the property. Therefore, I think that's what's eventually going to happen with the live-action movie. It's going to move over to Netflix. In order to cement that, what I think is going to happen, to happen, the more eyeballs on this will help that on because it will it will reaffirm to them that yes, there is massive interest in this. So when it comes out, get eyeballs on it, tell your friends. And the other thing is, recently I just watched something called Jupiter's Legacy and I really liked it. And Netflix announced that it's not continuing for a second season. I was just about to bring that up. I'm kind of bummed over that. And don't make that happen with Masters of the Universe, people. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) Adam will be very upset if that happens. So, you know, let's do everything we can to get as much viewership and attention on Masters of the Universe Revelation. But we, of course, will have more information as it becomes available, and then, of course, we'll have we'll have discussions about the, the actual show and the comic when it when it when they debut, respectively. So, with that news, you know, sort of taken care of, now we'll move on to the looking back at the DC Universe versus Master of the Universe. Uh, crossover. So, Chris, tell us, give us a brief synopsis of the overall story. Oh, wow, there's a lot going on here. To Okay, to a brief synopsis. Um, Skeletor has come to Earth to siphon all of the magic from Earth's life force. And... He-Man and He-Man and the small crew uh, are dispatched to Earth to try to return with Skeletor to fight off Hordak. They need Skeletor's powers to fight off Hordak. Yes. Um, As the story plays out, um, we see the heroes from Eternia... Um, be involved in several misunderstandings on Earth, which lead to battles with the Justice League, the Justice League of America, and the Justice League Dark before the end when the Eternians and the Earth heroes have to team up to take on the, no spoilers yet, um, but the main bad guy who has been puppeteering Skeletor the whole time. Right. That was a good synopsis. Well done. Well done. Well done. It was a tough ask, but you did, you did well. <laughs> right. Um, I, I really like the fact that it starts in the middle of a war zone. You know, on the outskirts of Eternia. And they're in such... The forces of good are in such disarray that you know, He-Man, Man, you know, the whole group, Tila, all them, decide that the only way that we can turn the tide of this war is to team up with Skeletor. But, like, think about how desperate they would have to be to go that, to go that route. Uh, so, and I like the fact that they just thrust you in the midst of all that chaos. Um, What I was, I remember when, when this was first announced. I was curious with how they were going to get these two worlds to come on, and um, for me, the whole magic aspect, and you know, Skeletor and and his. Benefactor siphoning the the magic from the DC universe 
makes a lot of sense. Well, how did you feel about that? Do you think it was contrived? Do you think it made sense? What are some of your thoughts? No, I thought it was, I didn't think it was contrived. I thought it definitely made sense. Um, and also that um, allows for one of Superman's two weaknesses to be introduced into the story. Um, you know, he's only susceptible really to to kryptonite and magic. So it made sense in that respect. Um, and I liked their explanation that um, on Eternia, there are mages practicing magic all over the place, whereas on Earth they say there's probably only a couple of dozen practicing mages, and that's why the life, the magic life force hasn't been used up yet, why it's still so bountiful. Sure, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. And it's a great way to bring in, you know, the likes of Zatanna, you know, you know uh, Constantine, Constantine, Madame Xanadu, all, all, right, all these people. Um, the, the, the funny thing is you could really, like, the, obviously this was at the beginning of the New 52, so, you know, that's the version of the DC Universe that we're getting. Right. Uh, which I'm not, not opposed to. I enjoyed there are elements of New 52 that I enjoyed. Um, um, so, but, and I, I like the reveal fairly early on that He-Man's mother was stranded on Earth. Like, that was really an inventive way. You know, by Skeletor, of course. Um, but it was... And, and I like the conversation, because she runs, you know, into... She she finds her way to uh, Constantine, John Constantine. And... Um, there's a whole discussion about how, you know, on the respective... Universes. So on Earth, uh, Skeletor, He-Man, and all those characters are, are, are storybook myths, right? Right. And then on Eternia, you know, characters like Constantine in the DC Universe are storybook myths. So I kind of like that they're, you know, that's, there's that back and forth kind of, you know, that they're both myths and they're in, from, you know, depending on which universe you're, 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 you're you're in? Yeah, they occupy different dimensions, but yeah. their exploits have crossed over between dimensions. They're still right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really like that that kind of angle. Um, I really liked how formidable. Skeletor was for most of the story. Like they really made him a threatening entity. Um, well, yeah, in issue two, he basically takes care of the whole Justice League for the most part. Right, because he attacks the uh, the Watchtower, right, and essentially, you know, decimates most of the league. Um, and, and so you really get a sense of, of his, his, his power, um, and in terms of his look, doesn't he kind of look like in this miniseries, miniseries, the Skeletor, you know, that, again, I can't remember the name of the, uh, that version of the character, but the, you know, like the super Skeletor from the Revelation, uh, action figure that we saw. Yeah, he's a little beefed up with with a, looks like a bit more armor mm. and a yeah. little more of a menacing uh, look on his face. That the eyes are glowing and not so hollow. Right. Um, but along the way, as menacing as they make Skeletor, they also do a good job of balancing that he's working at the behest 
of another entity. So should we spoil who that who that is? I mean, we're talking about book two, and that does happen in book three. So I don't see any reason to hold off any longer. All right, go ahead. Let's 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 pull the bandaid off. Who who's the who's the big bad of this story? Well, you know, going back to what you said about Skeletor's power levels, you know, setting him up this way means that you're you're also setting up the one pulling his strings to be even more powerful. So that's that gives you a sense of the power of this mystery being um, even before you you meet them. So I like how it was built up that way. But at the end of issue three, we find that the um, the mysterious being is none other than Dark Orko. Yes. Uh, so now Orko has been consumed by a dark power and is now raging against the universe, basically. And I was kind of shocked by that, to be honest with you. Oh, for sure. I no. did. I did not see that coming. Uh, to quote Quicksilver from Age of Ultron, um, but um, I had originally thought, okay, they left the Orko out, and then just, right, just for whatever. I mean, there were so many characters that I figured uh, they just left them out. But then to see him like that um, was such a departure from what I remembered from the animated series. Just because he was the comedic, you know, he's the comedic, the comedic flow of, of the animated series, right? So you definitely caught off guard when you see something like that. And there are so many artists on this book. I think there's um, Dexter Soy and Pop Man, I think, are, are the, are the are the guys that handle the air duties? Am I, am I right on that? Yeah, and it even, there are even, um, in one of the books for sure, um, where the art duties are split between the, in the book. Like one is, one of the artists does page one through 10 and the other does 11 yeah. through 20. Yeah, so there were a lot of hands, uh, you know, uh, bringing this to life artistically. Uh, but the way Oracle looks as Dark Oracle, is pretty friggin' awesome and intimidating. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but you let me know what you think of this comparison. You know who, you know about Spawn, right? Oh, for sure. You know the villain in Spawn, the, I can't pronounce the name, it starts with an M. You know that creature. You know the fat clown that turns into that, that yes. looking creature, which I can't pronounce the, the name of the creature, but it looked kind of like something like that. Or, yeah, or had all a blaze and it, the yeah. shining eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he looked really, really cool. Uh, I don't know why there isn't, or there wasn't, maybe I missed it. Why there wasn't a toy of that, I'll never understand. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so... I love how the two villains um, manipulated both sets of heroes. Yes, they. Um, the first, I guess, the first manipulation is making everyone believe that He Man killed Superman when, in fact, it, it, they have Superman trapped in Orko's dimension of Trala. And the one that they believe He-Man killed was just like a construct. Yeah. And, and again, that in and of itself, you know, seeing the Justice League fight, you know, He-Man and, and the members of his army. And then the issue ending with, you know, an out of control, what we think is Superman, evil Superman, you know, mesmerized evil Superman going toe-to-toe -to -toe with He-Man and then He-Man being so overwhelmed that all he could think to do is to stab Superman. You know, right through. What a shocking way to end an issue. It certainly was. And <clears throat> I, I remember back when I first read it, of course you know that eventually Superman's going to come back somehow. 
but you know that's the rational adult me reading this but, but had i read this as like a 10 or 11 year old kid i would have been gutted i would have been like well who am i supposed to choose here like, like how, how can i how can i decide with one or the other like this is ridiculous this is you know this is a really tough ask and it's ridiculous to ask this of me um but but yeah so uh, what a what a just that I mean that kind of a page would have ripped me in half as a kid. Uh, so, yeah, E-Man stabbing Superman—that's dramatic. Yeah, it's like right up there with you know Optimus Prime's death in the in the in the Transformers the animated movie there, and, and you know so so yeah it was just but what a powerful image. Um, because I don't, and it's powerful for two reasons. One, because I don't didn't think I've ever seen He-Man resort to that level of force and violence. And I've only other, I'm, I've only ever seen Superman in that kind of a predicament against Doomsday. Right. So it was quite the the. The incredible piece of art uh, to behold. Um, you know, um, really? I so great in in all the books. I mean, you know, the splash pages of yeah. you know man at arms battling Green Arrow and yes. and Battle Cat battling uh, Martian Manhunter. I mean, it's just like everything that uh, you know. Like you said, if I read this when I was like eleven or twelve years old, it's everything that. Uh, little nerd Chris would have just been crazy about. You know, it was really, um, I mean, it's one of the more quiet pages, so to speak. But it's still, like, every time I reread this book, I, I just stop and, and, and sort of pause and, and just stare at it for a few minutes. It's the splash page of the Batcave when, when, you know, when Constantine brings... Tila, He-Man, uh, Evelyn, and such, to the back end. And you get the splash page, and you see the 1989 Batmobile, you know, right dead center in the middle of the back, the back end. And yeah, pretty rad. It just looks like Tim Burton's back cave, and I'm like, can I just, like, frame this page and stare at it from now till the end of time? Uh, because I mean, and that was I think Dexter Soy on that particular page, and my God, is he a, is he an incredible artist? Uh, because it looks like you're looking at you know basically an exact rendition of the Burton Batcave and Batmobile, like transplanted onto the page. It's pretty impressive. Um, I also like the page where we first see um, Battle Cat and Man at Arms and all those guys come over, and Battle Cat is roaring, and you see that you know that, that heroic kind of forceful pose that, that Battle Cat is known for. That was another fan favorite of mine in terms of pages. Um, in terms of the story, you know what I kind of really kind of enjoyed uh, was the banter between He-Man and Tila. Yeah, it's almost uh, it's almost like a brother sister type, like where she's like you know egging him on, or she's like uh, you know she knows when she's like being testy with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really well written, and it felt kind of like a more, and maybe this is the wrong word, but you'll understand what I mean. It, it felt like a more mature extension of the animated series. Yeah, I think I would agree with, with that categorization. Um, so I, I really liked their back and forth throughout the whole thing. Um, I also 
really enjoyed um, the sort of interaction between He-Man and Superman, specifically when they were, you know, trapped in that, that, that other realm, right? Oracle, Dark Oracle's realm. And they were working together, like the real Superman and He-Man. You know, they were, they were working in tandem. And yeah. He-Man throws the, 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 sword, the, the sword and gives it to, to Superman. And he even basically says, you know, not many people can wield the sword, only people that are, you know. Yeah, wounded. it's like, I don't have to worry about that with you or something like that. Yeah, right. And he's like, just do me a favor, whatever you do, don't, don't say, you know. Basically, he tells him, don't, don't say the line, because then, you know, I'm screwed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but yeah, just seeing them work sort of in tandem. Uh, back to back, and that was something special. Um, and I like that, you know, both were shown to be formidable and powerful with and without the sword. So it wasn't like the sword was, was the only reason, you know, that they were capable of, of ultimately defeating. Dark or Coin Skeletor. Um, but I really like the way that that interplay sort of uh, went back and forth. Um, what did you think of the, the role Batman had? He was more of the strategist, you know, behind the scenes kind of, you know, organizing the various Justice Leagues into battle against these unknown. Off-worlders. What, what did you think of that? Because I thought it was pretty appropriate for Batman. I think it's appropriate for this story because there's so much um, interdimensional and magic type stuff going on, and that's not really Batman's realm, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where a guy like Constantine comes in. So Bruce, you know, trying to puzzle things out, you know, sitting at the Batcave trying to figure things out is entirely in character, and I think pretty fitting for the story that they were this particular story that they were telling yeah um, and in terms of the Batman aspect I really liked the fact that there was a scene with Alfred when it was still believed that, that Superman was dead that you know you know Bruce trying to sort of discern what's going on at one point doesn't want to accept the fact that, that Superman is quote unquote dead and Alfred is basically telling him, you know, basically saying, you're feeling this way because he was one of the few people that you considered a friend that you let in, right? And I think that's important because even back in the days of the New 52, where we were dealing with versions of the DC Universe that were just starting out, it's important to show that despite the early days of the situation, that their friendship was one of the things that remained uh, from the reboot. So I really liked that, you know, that, that call out to it. And, you know, Bruce being adamant that, no, he's, he's, he's not dead, right? Um, I, I like that. And um, I just like that he's kind of, you know, when everybody's possessed and kind of at each other's throats, He's the one that kind of reigns them in and says, look, you guys, are, we're, we're being played, right? Um, again, I think, like you said, it's very appropriate for Batman. I don't know that seeing, you know, as much as I love Batman, seeing him physically go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody like Skeletor is not... I mean, yes, we're dealing with comic books and there's suspension of disbelief that you have to kind of uh, put in place, but... Even that would have been much if you had Batman, you know, try, uh, trying to employ hand-to-hand -hand combat against Skeletor. You know what I mean? It would have been kind of ridiculous. Um, so I'm glad they went the road that they went with him. Um, 
Batman does turn up in the final battle against Stark Orko. He doesn't really do anything, but he's there. Yeah, he's there, but again, it's not like he's leading. I mean, it's very much a case of He-Man and Superman working together. That That's yep. why they, they succeed. And that's as it should be in, in, in this type of book. Agreed. Um, I also like the banter between Batman and Constantine, where it's I think Constantine Kyle calls him old spooky or whatever he calls him, which I thought was really funny. You know, they're antagonistic back and forth. Um, and I really like the when they paired them off into like um, you know pairs to fight. The pairing of Green Lantern and Simon Baz with I think it was Mossman, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Made a lot of sense. Add to that the fact that Swamp Thing interjects when Green Lantern, you know, basically creates a construct of, of what was it, Hedge Clippers? I think it was. Oh, it was a chainsaw. A chainsaw. And and Swamp Thing showed up and was like, no, that's out of line. You know, like, no, no, you, you, you went overboard with that one. You know what I mean? You took offense to that. that was, so again, they found places to, you know, to insert humor. Where, where, uh, where it needed to be, uh, which I, which I felt was was um, was very important. And then you know, um, sort of, you know, we mentioned how Superman and Heman had to work together. It was kind of. It was also interesting. The sort of. Another relationship that I liked how it played out was Skeletor and Evelyn because he's still on, you know, a, a pretty uh, he's quite cruel to her in the fact that like he's just using her for his own ends where You know, Evelyn, I mean, she protests through most of the series, but she does still love the guy. And she ultimately turns on He-Man and Tila predictably to sort of, you know, try and help him. And then he just kind of screws her over, you know what I So it's like, yeah, Skeletor is still a jackass. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, in, since the 80s, he really hasn't... <laughs> Like he hasn't changed in that respect. Um, I honestly think that that you could have a you could have like a, a a fight between for most toxic relationship between um, Evelyn and Skeletor and Harley and the Joker, and I don't know which one would win that that battle. Um, but it was again the writer of this book. I believe is James Robinson. I think was it? Uh, no. Well, the the writer, the story writer, was Keith Giffen. Or oh, Keith Giffen. Sorry. Um, I think Robinson did uh, did uh, the previous Masters of the Universe DC book, the the mini the first miniseries. But yeah, uh, Keith Giffen. Um, really had a good handle on these characters and I think wrote it in such a way that had you read the previous comic you would have you would have picked up on it but had this been your first first exposure to DC's take on E-Man and the Masters of the Universe you could believe it being set sometime after the 80 series and just roll with it I mean, it's a little darker and more serious, but they all still feel very, very true to those versions of the characters. Yeah, and I think they did a good job of, of capturing each individual voice because there's there are a lot of characters to juggle in this yeah. story. You've got um, the Masters of the Universe, Justice League, Justice League Dark, and Justice League of America. Yeah. Um, and they all play a part, but I thought, you know, when when I was reading each individual character, I could hear them in their own voice. They didn't sound like 
you know, he, Superman didn't sound like Tila, didn't sound like Constantine. Yeah, yeah, that, that is very true. Um, you know, it was a little jarring, I, I gotta admit, even though that I knew this was the New 52 era, when, when the construct of Superman died and disappeared, and Wonder Woman's getting all bent out of shape more than usual because, gotta remember, in this continuity, at the start of it at least, Wonder Woman and Superman were a couple. Right. And to hear her talk about Superman in that in that way, I kind of forgot about it. And so rereading it, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, but I yeah, I forgot about that. So that was kind of interesting to. Uh, yeah, and you have you have Wonder Woman cradling Superman in the pose that we most often associate with Lois Lane when yeah. Yeah, so it was very, it was very, um, very weird for, for at least until, until I, until I was like, then I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I remember now, and then I, I got used to it. But uh, um, I like the way it ends because, you know, of course, uh, when the heroes team up, they have to have their, their big, you know, grand farewell, uh, and. Uh, but I like that it's set up um, the other Masters of the Universe story. Like, um, they have to leave his mother on Earth. Right. He promises, you know, once we get back, you know, I'll find a way to bring you home. Uh, but also, Tila mentions why he men didn't mention that they were looking for his sister. And He-Man mentions, you know, I didn't want to tell her because I didn't want to tell her she had a daughter and then I have to take it away from her knowing that she couldn't come back right. and help us find her. He uh, said it would only be cruel to let her know she has a daughter she might never get to know. Right. So... I like that because it sets up, you know, a story down the road in the Master of the Universe comic, where they do find, uh, of course, Human's sister and eventual She-Ra. So um, I like that little bit of story building. I, I thought it was very clever. And again, just a couple of you know quotes that it isn't some grand. Like it works, and then, but if you pick up the other title, great, you can follow along. If not, it's not like you feel obliged to all of a sudden start, you know what I mean? It's done very well, where you could either leave the story there, or if you were so inclined, you could pick up. Yeah, it works very well as a, you know, a self-contained six-issue story arc, um, but as you say, the end sets it up. If or to continue the journey, if you want to, right? So, uh, yeah, overall, I mean, is there anything else you want to bring up, or we can go ahead? Um, no, I just I wish we had seen more of of Dead Man inhabiting other people. There was there was one panel of him inhabiting um, Battle Cat, and I really would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. Story. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, uh, nothing, uh, I think we covered most of the bases. I don't think there's anything. Yeah, we talked about specific bases. All right. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, give it a final thought and, uh, two, two grades out of five, one for story and one for art. Final thought. Um, this is a welcome mashup of two of my favorite properties ever. I've been a fan of He-Man the Masters of the Universe as well as the DC superhero characters for literally as long as I can remember. Um, because He-Man and the Ma Masters of the Universe premiered in 1983 when I was two years old and I was already watching Super Friends at that time from the 70s. So um, this is... You know, two of my most loved properties being uh, 
being crossed over here, and I think they did an excellent job with it. Um, you know, it's a great self-contained story, but it also, just like you said, sets things up for you to continue reading if you want. Um, I'll say art, I give it a 4.5 out of 5. It's almost perfect. Um, and story, probably the same, um, 4.5 out of 5. There, With the story, it jumped back and forth a little bit much for my like there was so much going on in so many different places um it jumped back and forth between the groups a lot um yeah yeah i think uh solid 4.5s across the board for me awesome i'll i'll say that it is literally the crossover of my childhood dreams uh, pretty much yeah, I've gotten several. Uh, one is this one. The other one is Batman and Ninja Turtles. Uh, the only other one that they have to at some point do to make me fully happy is have Batman meet Zorro, uh, because that would be something on many levels. Uh, but but aside from that, they've given me every everything I wanted with this crossover. I thought each set of characters was handled respectfully and uh, and each set of characters got the spotlight like one wasn't favored over the other uh, they didn't have to job one character to put the other one over to use wrestling terms uh, and I think it is the in terms of tone it's the perfect kind of crossover. It's that summer blockbuster kind of feel to it, you know, and it was a lot of fun. And it did, it did its job because not only did I continue reading the new 52 Justice League, but I also continued re reading the Masters of the Universe title. Uh, so it, it definitely served its purpose. Um, and, you know, it's the only one of its kind that we're going to get for a while because, as I said, the comic rights for Masters are back at Dark Horse. So I don't foresee this kind of thing happening for quite some time. Uh, but in terms of a rating, I'm going to give the story a 4.5. I think you're right, you're bang on uh, when you say that it was a little too much jumping between, you know, the groups of characters. Uh, and I think that could have been helped had they had, had this been like a 12-issue maxi-series, they would have had a little bit more time to flesh things out. And I think that would have helped. But still, 4.5 out of 5 is really solid. I thought the art was fantastic. I thought every artist and his slightly different art style meshed really well uh it wasn't jarring when i went from one artist to the next because each artist was so good so i'm going to go a little bit higher than you and give a five for good but yeah that's my thought on it uh, i thought it was great overall uh, so that brings it that brings this episode to a close um uh, uh, we are going to try and do uh, more Masters comics more frequently. Uh, as you know, uh, Chris and I also do the the Turtle Dojo, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles podcast. So what we're going to do to kind of give you uh, a, mix, a good mix of both on a regular basis, Chris and I are going to continue to converge monthly, and we're going to alternate months between Master, a Masters of the Universe episode and a a Ninja Turtles episode. So you're going to get a good dose of both each month. Um, and in the case of July, we're going to try and, and get one of each because just because of the uh, the, the specialness of, of Masters of the Universe Revelation premiere. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, Chris, if, if the listeners want to sort of keep chatting with you about either Masters of the Universe, 
the DC Universe, or even Ninja Turtles? Where can they do that? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Chris N. Harrelson, and you can search for Commodore Schmidt Lab if you want. That's my other handle on Twitter. Um, or, you know, when uh, when we post about this episode in the Facebook group, join us on over there and chat about it. Perfect, yeah. And if you want to talk with me about any of these three subjects or more, you can do that at Adam underscore Deetsfan on Twitter. Uh, as Chris said, we have a Facebook group. The link will be in the description below. Uh, so you can you can click the link, I'll add you, and we can continue the conversation there. Uh, and we also have the Podcast Network Twitter handle, at MMNPDC. So check us out there as well. But until next time, remember that both the Masters of the Universe and the DC Universe are forever. From the first time He-Man clashed with Superman to the last. So long, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Skeletor. It's over. Yes. For you. By the power of Ray Skull.